Hello and welcome to episode 72 and a half of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox and with me is a, a correspondent of the show, Mike, who we mentioned on episode 66 because he had had some, uh, well, I guess it was a bit of a LSAT horror story uh, <laughs> with his insomnia issues. And uh, now uh, Mike is here to provide a little bit of an update, and I think it's good news. Mike, uh, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's been a good week. Yeah, I guess you really did. Why don't you uh, <laughs> just walk the listeners through what happened? Sure. So um, I, I suppose I, I registered for the September exam uh, immediately after my June catastrophe. Just uh, to back up a little bit, what was the June catastrophe oh, again? This was episode sure, 66, sure. if people want to hear uh, Ben and I talk about it a lot. But yeah, go ahead. Of course. So uh, the short version with the June test was I uh, could not sleep the night before. Uh, I had been obsessing about the exam to that point for about nine months I'd been studying. And so I got very nervous uh, come around 1130 once I put my head down and just could not sleep and decided that the best way to fall asleep would be to take some NyQuil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Took a little bit extra NyQuil and then just ended up having a full-on panic attack, made it to the testing center and just sat down and knew uh, it wasn't going to happen. And uh, decided to give it my all, but uh, by section two, I just realized I couldn't perform. Uh, so I ended up canceling my score. It was a, somewhat of a waste of an attempt, but it gave me a glimpse into the test itself. So that that was the horror story, uh, which you and uh, Ben talked about in episode yeah, 66. I mean, the first I knew of it was, I want to say I had been up late that night, as I sometimes do. And okay. I, I started getting like frantic emails from you <laughs> at, at like 1 a.m. on the morning of yeah. the test. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. He shouldn't be up right now. What's going on? And um, I remember trying to get you to calm down and just, you know, get get some sleep. But I guess it did not work. And then you ended up having the, the, uh, the very difficult day. Yeah, no, um, I, I definitely remember emailing you at like three or four in the morning or something along those lines. Uh, and I, I have like a vivid memory of Googling how to fall asleep when panicked or something like that, <laughs> which was not fruitful, but I tried. Yeah. Step one, I think, is like don't Google things. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, WebMD and all that are just, oh, you can't sleep? Well, it's you obviously have right. an answer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that, that incident definitely colored my LSAT trajectory for quite a while. You know, leading up to the exam, I had been taking like two or three practice tests a week and doing, you know, tutoring with you as well as Seven Sage and all these other things. And then from there, uh, I kind of took about a month and a half off up until pretty much episode 66 when I emailed uh, you and Ben. And uh, then I got back on the horse, did it a little bit slower this second time around and uh, did a new testing center. I ended up getting my test score on Wednesday, uh, and I got a 170. Wow! And that was my goal score, and so I'm I'm very happy. And uh, once again, just want to say thank you to the Thinking LSAT podcast. <laughs> well, that's not why I'm having you on. I mean, the <laughs> no, no, I'm not just here to sing praises. <laughs> when you emailed and you said that you had a 170, I was excited for you uh, because you know I knew you could do it, and I I'm just happy that it that it all worked out for you. 
But um, I thought that having you on the show for a, just a little brief update would maybe provide some sort of a positive counterpoint to all of the negativity that I'm constantly giving on the show. <laughs> so, sure. What do you think happened? Do you think there was something? Because it doesn't have to be different. This is what it's like when you teach logic for a living is that we we're used to attributing causes to things all the time, right? Sure. That, Oh, you had a bad performance. Well, that had to be the NyQuil or it had to be the something. And then, Oh, you had a good performance. So it had to be the something I'm open to the possibility that it was nothing at all. And that it was completely random and that it's just a good thing that you took the test multiple times. But I want to know if you think there was anything that you did differently this time around. Yeah, I mean, there were certain. Uh, I, I mean, I guess it could be in, categorized into different levels. Uh, Study-wise, I took a different approach. Uh, I definitely spent more time doing the one-section approach. So instead of taking full practice tests, I was doing one section at a time, and then spending a lot of time reviewing my mistakes. I like that. And the questions that I struggled with, which, yeah, that that really uh, when I first was doing practice tests, I mean, as you mentioned in episode 66, I took something like almost 40 practice tests uh, in total to switch, you know, from doing two or three full tests a week uh, to a more uh, abbreviated form where I'm doing a section and then spending an hour going over that section, even if I only got two or three wrong, but really delving into those uh, harder questions. That, that really helped me. Uh, so study-wise, I think that that was helpful. And I also did only, I think, between July, August, and September, I think I only finished four full tests, which is a sh- much smaller number than 35. Yeah. So so that, I think, was a different study strategy. One, one thing that was the same, kind of going back and forth with this, uh, con- uh, comparing and contrasting, uh, is I accidentally did not listen to a piece of advice that you have said on the podcast a number of times. Uh, and for those who are still prepping or taking the December exam, I do want to reiterate that I think this piece of advice really should be followed, which is end on a good one. Mm. Because I actually, uh, I took prep test 55, which was maybe like the 37th test I've ever done. And I got my first 170. And I was ecstatic. But I kind of like in my mind, I had done those games before because I had prior to the June exam, done every game uh, from test 36 up. And then I took test 63 and got a 173 uh, the week later. And that was that was a week and a half before the September exam. And that's where I should have probably stopped. But I really wanted to pull the lever one more time and see where the slot machine landed. <laughs> yeah. And so I actually uh, took 78, which is the June 2016 exam, which is the one that I... Uh, had uh, taken the NyQuil and had my <laughs> little catastrophe. And I got a 165. Oh at so, right. So that colored my perform. Well, not maybe not my performance. I don't know if that affected it, but it definitely, going back to uh, similarities with June, I, I actually definitely got really anxious the night before. Uh, no NyQuil this time, but I, uh, I think I only got three or four hours of sleep for this yeah. exam. And one thing that I, a mantra that I had taken from the episode 66 discussion uh, was to just recognize that not everything is going to be perfect and to just move forward and answer the question on the page. And so, yeah, when I couldn't sleep until 2 in the morning, I was just like, well, you know what, I'm going to do fine. So I just closed my eyes and relaxed, and I got a few hours of sleep, and it turned out fine. It turned out for the best. Yeah. 
Yeah. So a, a couple of other things, I think, you know, uh, my first section on this exam was actually the experimental and I, it was experimental games uh, without going into too many details. I, I felt as though I bombed that fourth game, but I, I, I heeded one of the pieces of advice that both you and Ben um, talk about a lot, which is again, don't let one performance on one section color the rest of yeah. your exam performance. And uh, yeah, taking that piece of advice into the exam was very helpful because uh, the next section was logical reasoning and um, totally, totally killed it. So that was good. It was great. Yeah. So I, I, I'd say in general, you know, one of the other things that I changed for this time around was, and then again, this came from episode 66. I stopped trying to make all these other requirements or necessary conditions for the exam for myself. Uh, so I stopped making it that if I didn't work out or I didn't eat well or what have you, that it was somehow going to affect my test day performance. And so I, I, I tried just reminding myself that uh, all those external variables would be have less of an impact, I should say, on my tests than um, just the regular performance that uh, – I put it in each day when I was doing practice tests. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would encourage everybody to think about diet and fitness and all that kind of stuff. But um, there's plenty of, you know, fat guys that do well on the LSAT, <laughs> yours truly being one of them. So, you know, it's, it's you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I really like that you ended up with a sort of a less is more kind of an approach. Talk a little bit more about that. I mean, you went from doing 30 tests or 35 tests plus all the logic games sure. before your June exam. And then mm -hmm. in between June and September, you only did like four tests. Yeah. So uh, I, I definitely started focusing on quality over quantity. Now, that's not to say when I was doing the 35 tests, because that was over about three months, that I wasn't doing proper review. But it definitely you feel burned out after you do a full practice test, and uh, I mean, for myself at least, I know I was not doing the most comprehensive review when I would take a full test and then turn around, get a coffee, and then try and review all four sections of that practice test. So in studying for September, doing a section of logical reasoning, and then having a second fresh copy of it. And then just going through the ones that I either found confusing or got wrong. And then trying to write out explanations. That was something I think, uh, oh, when you had Graham on from LSAT hat? Yep. Uh -huh. That's right. Yeah, Graham Blake. Yep. Yeah. Graham Blake, he had talked about how writing out explanations for the questions helped him master the exam beyond his already high mastery of the exam. So uh, doing that in my own way was very helpful. Uh, they probably weren't perfect explanations, but going through and saying, okay, A is wrong because, B is wrong because, C is correct because, and doing that for any question that I got wrong. Um, so I would do a 35-minute time section, but I might spend an hour reviewing it or an hour and a half sometimes. So that, that I think was very fruitful, and it meant that I wasn't as concerned with what the score, the scaled score was. It was more, what's my raw score for this section? What were the issues that happened on this section? And what can I glean from my mistakes uh, for the next section that I do later this week? Yeah, I've found that it's just, <laughs> people are more energized. My students are more energized if I just focus on 
okay, we're all going to do one 35 minute section and then we're going to review that section. So let's talk about all your mistakes, you know, as many mistakes as you guys want to talk about. Let's talk about all of those. Today I taught a class in, uh, in LA and we did a full test, uh, but we did, we did it one section at a time. But even that, like doing a full test in one day, I, I was finding that people were a, a bit running out of gas and just, you know, they, <laughs> it was clear <laughs> that they wanted to pull the lever. They wanted to just do, you know, they want to just see what number is going to come out of the slot machine if they pull it over and over and over. It's a shame because they had made mistakes on the previous uh, section and and you could tell that they were just losing enthusiasm for I guess it's the harder part why is it harder yeah why, I don't understand why it's harder the reviewing part so I think um, I'm looking up the name of the book right now I'm checking my audible because uh, Ben had been talking about make it mm-hmm. stick I think talking about the idea of um, deliberate practice and I think that also could have been in grit by Angela Duckworth. I, I took both of those book recommendations to heart and put them on my Audible, and I would suggest uh, anyone who likes audiobooks to check those out. But um, the deliberate practice part, I think, really stuck to me because, yeah, blind review or just review in general, it, it, it takes away the game element of the test, I think. Like when I'm doing logical reasoning, it feels like a game at this point. Yeah, and I know when I first took the test, it absolutely did not. For first started studying, I should say, when I first took a practice test, it, the test felt brutal and torturous, uh, and it got to the point where each question just felt like a challenge, like a puzzle. Right. And I think when you do blind review or review in general, and you're sitting there, and it's not about getting the point, it's about challenging your understanding or supposed understanding of core concepts and ideas. And so maybe that's why it's harder for people. I, that, that's why it's harder for me, at yeah. least. For me, for myself, uh, when I'm going through a question that I got wrong and I'm unclear, uh, like, like, as an example, what I'm sure is now the infamous uh, virus game, I printed that out because, you know, having taken the exam, uh, the September exam, you get a copy. And uh, I haven't read an explanation for the game yet but i want to figure out every single question (laughs) like i just i i refuse to not figure that game out it's almost like looking at i I, you know like the kids menu with like the maze and then you go flip the page over to see the answer i don't want to see the answer i want to figure it out yeah but (laughs) but i i I think that's how blind review is and you have to treat it that way you have to treat it like i am going to figure out this really hard crappy sudoku puzzle of a logic reasoning or reading yeah, comp passage. And there's, I think there's an element too, where it's like, I sucked at this the first time. I totally missed this one. I thought I knew what I was doing or I didn't, but I picked a wrong answer on this one. And now I, right. I have to confront that harsh reality that I, I sometimes am not as smart as I wish I was, or that I, you know, that I'm not as prepared sure. or that I just can fuck up sometimes. And, I don't know what it is, but it's just it. People have a hard time. People have a hard time with that. They don't. They don't like to um, die repeatedly in the video game. They, you know, they they want to sure. win all the time. So maybe that's something. Sure. No, I I think, and, and I don't want to discount too. I think the LSAT 
can be a little sadistic at times. Like, uh, you know, I think at one point when I was talking to you for a session, we were talking about the unicorn question, that par- parallel mm-hmm. reasoning question, mm-hmm. like unicorns and UFOs. Yep. And that, that was a question where when I was reviewing it on my own, I was so confident that that was an error made by LSAC. <laughs> and I could I had to challenge myself on that and really be like, no, I'm just missing something here. And, and so, yeah, not wanting to admit that level of defeat, I think, plays a role, but also recognizing that these questions sometimes are just very difficult. And taking a moment uh, as a student to just reflect on that and just move forward and be willing to take that challenge, I think, uh, I think that's how I moved up. I mean, when I first took a diagnostic, it was in the high 140s. Wow. Yeah, so to get to, get to a 170 is just, um, it's a pretty good feeling. That's a life-changing amount of improvement. I mean, um, when people are scoring in the 140s, I, you know, I, I would say if you're going to end up in the 140s, you probably shouldn't be going to law school. Not not if you start in sure. the 140s, but if you end up in the 140s, you should not be going to law school. And if you end up with mm-hmm. a 170, if law is the right career for you, then you absolutely should go to law school and can go to great schools with great scholarships. You are fortunate in your timing right now because you uh, killed the September LSAT, which means you're still on target to apply early for 2017 admission. Is that your plan? That's the plan. I'm a, I, I, this week I'm going to print my withdrawal from the December LSAT, which I was registered for. I, I registered just in case. Okay. Uh, oh, really quick. I do want to say just because it came to mind, aside from registering early because I did not register early enough for December. I registered right after I finished the September exam and I ended up with uh, the waiting list test center, which turned out to be, I think, Loyola, which is closer to downtown L.A. Uh, so for me, that would have been about an hour, hour and a half commute uh, at, you know, seven in the morning. (laughs) So, so whereas my test center that I went to for September is literally, um, five minutes from me. So anywho, that, that's just an aside for anyone listening to register early, uh, for the first test date that you're looking to. As for plans, yeah, no, I, um, I am planning on, uh, enrolling in fall of 2017. So I've taken the last few days. I got my score Wednesday. Today is Saturday to uh celebrate responsibility (laughs) so okay i'm on a kind of cumulative hangover right now but um beyond that i am now i've already sent in my uh transcripts and i've requested all my letters of recommendations from uh three different professors with whom i'm uh, very close and very fortunate to have worked with and i've started receiving fee waivers on friday from a number of t14 schools which was exciting to say the least and then uh yeah now i'm just working on the personal statement and updating my resume and uh writing addenda for a couple things that might be necessary and then um setting off the applications how many schools are you going to apply to my plan is to pretty much blanket the t14 and then a couple of other schools that just fall outside that range but have one or another factors that make them of interest to me. UCLA, so, USC. UCLA, USC, also 
George Washington because I, I do like the DC market and then Fordham, which is a little bit lower ranked, but again, New York market. So my, I, I have a three, nine GPA. So I'm, I'm looking at more of the T14 range, wow. but, um, yeah, so, so with, with the 170, I mean, it puts me in a pretty good position for a number of different, uh, schools. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Three, nine and a 170 is going to be a very competitive candidate. Um, Irvine, uh, Irvine, I might throw one for I, because they're up and coming. They're going to give you a fee waiver, right? Uh, I haven't received one oh. yet so far for fee waivers. Well, I'm going to go to, uh, I know that there's the LSAC forum in LA on, I think it's November 5th. Uh, so I'm going to be heading to that. I've registered earlier this year. So, um, and I, I have heard that some schools hand out fee waivers. So, uh, that will be an opportunity to possibly get a few Even more. Even if they're not formally handing out fee waivers, I would think that if you went mm-hmm. up, you know, you're going to be the, like professionally dressed and you roll up to the Irvine table and you, not like you're saying, show me the money or something like that. You know, you, you got to be professional, <laughs> not be like a dick about it, but they know sure. that if you have a 170 and a 3.9, they have to give you a scholarship in order for you to go there. Sure. So I think if you made conversation with them, made a connection to the admissions people, and if you just casually throw it out there, um, hey, I've gotten um, fee waivers from several other schools. I would love to apply to Irvine. Are you doing anything like that these days? Mm. Sure. I mean, they can always say no, or they can say yes and give you $100, essentially. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean... um, you know, one one of the schools I wasn't particularly interested in, which is Duke, and that nothing against Duke, it's a fantastic school. It's just it wasn't on my radar. Uh, I received um, a fee waiver this week, just directly in my email, and so started my Duke application. So I, I, yeah, I definitely um, at the forum, uh, I'm planning on chatting with whoever uh, is there, representative wise, and seeing what I can do in terms of expanding that 15 to 16 school list to maybe 20 or more. I mean, you know, it's a lot of work and it mm-hmm. some, it costs some money because the LSAC is still going to charge you $30 per school that you apply to. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's small, small potatoes compared to the big, the big um, 150000 or $200,000 that you might get. So definitely apply early, apply broadly. Yeah, when the offers start coming in, just don't be afraid to essentially ask for more, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean that's the hope. You know, I I I'm not quite certain uh, at this point what my plans are for after law school. I've been leaning towards big law, uh, going into the corporate market for a little while, but um, I also want to keep my options open. Uh, and so while I figure that out, looking into you know, full tuition at some schools might be um, the route for me. So, yeah, so I, I'm definitely looking forward to applying broadly and applying early. So I, I'm looking to have my applications in by Thanksgiving at the uh, right. at the very latest here. Yeah, well, you're going to put yourself in a in a tough spot. You know, you're going to end up with a a very good problem, which is multiple offers, competing offers, really good offers. 
the offers that they give you at first are not going to be as good as the offers that you'll get later when you ask them for more money and show them other offers and whatnot. So those sure. offers will get better and better, and then it'll just be a tougher and tougher decision. But I mean, in the end, no matter what you end up picking, it's going to work out uh, really, really well for you. Thank you. I'm very excited. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dude. (laughs) I mean, it's awesome. It it is like, it is totally just a life changing amount of improvement. So, um, that is fantastic. All right, Mike. Um, I will let you go. Thank you though, for coming back on the show. I hope you'll, of course, course. thank you for having me. Yeah. I hope you'll uh, let me know what, uh, what happens in the admission cycle. Yeah, of course. I'll shoot you guys an email, you and Ben, as soon as I uh, start receiving offers. And um, as soon as I have a question as to what to do, I'm sure I'll be sending it to you yeah, guys. Yeah, if there's anything <laughs> I can do to help, I mean, let me know. It's it's the favorite. my favorite part of the job is like helping a student with really great creden- credentials get the best offer they possibly can. It's just, a, it's just an awesome thing that I get to do because we are talking about tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars from some of the best uh, law schools in the country. So that is excellent. Yeah, no, it's incredible. So I'm very excited. But uh, again, could not have done it without the podcast. I really do mean that. So awesome. thanks so much. All right, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Of course. I'll chat with you soon, hopefully.